You're listening to the Hudson Records podcast, a series exploring the music and artists on the Hudson Records label and beyond. My name is Jenny Sturgeon. In this episode, I chat with award-winning musician Sam Sweeney about his 2020 album, Unearth Repeat. One, two, one, two. Tis working. <laughs> How are you doing anyway? <laughs> yes, very good. Yeah. Um... Yeah, things seem actually relatively optimistic at the minute, I think. Yeah, they do, don't they? I don't know why. It's not like there's loads of fantastic gigs and tours really on the horizon, but it all just feels slightly more... Maybe it's the weather. It's the weather being nice has has made it all a bit more bearable, maybe. You're so right. It's amazing, isn't it? I always forget when the sun's out, everybody smiles. Totally, yeah. Makes things seem less stressful. It's just brilliant. We had a moment the other day, me and my girlfriend went for a walk just around the corner and we came across these bushes by the side of the road and we were like what the hell is going on and it was just absolutely full of starlings oh and nice. like it, they sound like a firework display like the sound of them like with the woo and the yeah. it's like it's yeah. absolutely bonkers and we just stood there for like 40 minutes in the sunshine like listening to these starlings it was so cool oh love them So we're obviously here today to chat about your album, which was released last year, called Unearth Repeat. Almost a year ago, which is crazy. Um, it feels like a, it does feel like a really long time ago, and it feels like a really long time since I sort of wrote mm. it and arranged it. Because, like, yeah, I sort of started that process nearly two years ago. So it just seems very, we- very weird mm-hmm. that, like, I still haven't gigged it. <laughs> yeah. It will happen, Sam. It will. Yeah, at some point. (laughs) It will, yes. And so how did you approach getting together all that material? Because this is your second solo album, isn't it? And quite a different format from the first one. I'm somebody who very much never planned to make a solo album. Um, And I just didn't really have any interest in the idea of it. I don't like attention. I I never wanted to be at the front of anything. Um... You know, and straight from school, like joining Bellowhead at the age of 18, like I I was then in bands. So like it was Bellowhead, then I joined Faye Heald's band at 18 as well. And then John Bowden and the Remnant Kings and then so on. I've sort of been in other people's bands for ages. And I loved that. Like I, I like being a musician who can support a singer or a musician who's sort of part of a bigger thing. And then it was... Uh, I was in a car park in Cambridge on my way to Cambridge Folk Festival in 2017 and yeah I was phoned up and asked if I would like to make a solo record um, The Unfinished Violin as it became known but yeah a solo record basically to commemorate the end of the First World War Mm -hmm. uh, centenary. So I gave it some thought and I was sort of erring on the side of absolutely not. Like, yeah. under no circumstances <laughs> am I going to make a solo record. That's crazy. 
Um, <laughs> but I did in the end, and I really, really enjoyed the process, mm. like in a very big way. And people seem to really like that record. Yeah, it's a great record. Oh, thanks. That's really kind. Um, yeah, so it, it it went down well, and I enjoyed it, and it was just a real pleasure. And I think that part of the reason I found it so sort of so fun, so pleasurable to do was it was a sort of unexpected opportunity and the goalposts were really really narrow yeah so it was like you have got this time deadline to make a record within this budget on the topic of the first yeah. world war so and like, go <laughs> exactly it was like, and i could cope with that um but actually then when it when it went well i was sort of thinking well do i dare try and do something with with no goalposts i set mm -hmm. the goalposts and so that was what on earth repeat was is still is yeah <laughs> um and yeah so it was essentially who do i want to work with what mm -hmm. do i want it to sound like and what is the material going to be and it was it was i mean in terms of the writing and demoing process it was almost identical to the unfinished violin like mm -hmm. I sat down, played a bunch of tunes into Logic and then played a series of instruments very badly to create some, <laughs> some you know, arrangement. So I sort of demoed guitar, bass, electric mm -hmm. guitar, bit of concertina or bit of, of whatever. Mm -hmm. None of those instruments can I actually play. And just sort of just got loads of ideas down into Logic yeah. and they sort of formed the basis of, of the demos. was a great thing that happened and it will happen again after this after this pandemic um but Halsey Manor down in Somerset they they do this thing once a year where they invite a bunch of artists just to go for the week and it's like a sort of artist retreat if you like um and I just took a simple recording rig with me and a whole bunch of my old tune books and I just treated it as a game so I was sort of thinking, well, how can I, you know, I, I know how to get old tunes out of books. Like I do that with Leverett and I've done it for years and I love doing it. But how can I change that process from just finding something, mm -hmm. making, you know, rounding off a couple of corners, but it is essentially the traditional tune. What else can I do? So I sort of played some stupid little games with myself. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's actually a game that I still, I still play with myself. So like get a tune book pin it to the wall not literally sometimes but like stick it on a music stand eight feet away so you can't really see it and then just sight read the shape of the tune so there is something in there the mm -hmm. shape of that melody is is a shape yeah. that has existed in a tune you know but actually things like key signature mode accidentals specific rhythm whatever that that's all all out the window so there's a tune on the record called half of one I mean, it's a crass title, really, because it's 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 called Half of One because the tune is half of one tune and half half of another. Sight read really badly on purpose. 
what beautiful material has come out of that. I mean, it, it's just, yeah, I love it. Interestingly, with Half of One, like it, the chord sequence was down first. So I just, I, I had my viola and I was just sort of plucking these chords mm. into, into logic. And then I listened to that chord sequence and sight read it badly. But of course, the chords that I had laid down were informing yeah. the bad sight reading, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So that was, a, that was a really cool thing to do. ever revealed to anybody what those original tunes were or is that a secret it's not it's not a secret at all okay. um, <laughs> I can't exactly remember but they came from well the first tune in that set it, it comes from this book called three extraordinary collections which was compiled by this guy called Pete Stewart it's just a whole load of 18th century um, tunes collected in and around England and I think it's just called A Jig. I think that's all it's called. And yeah, so the A part is half of this tune on the right-hand side of the double page. Can't remember. B part is on the left-hand side at the bottom. Um, <laughs> I can see where they are on the page. I can't really remember anything else about them. I've got this picture of you, like, squinting, really squinting to, to try and see from <laughs> across, <laughs> across the room. Yeah, totally in a dormitory in Halsey Manor. Which sounds like it's probably quite a large room, is it? Oh, it was massive, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it sounded glorious. Oh, it sounded bet. like Nigel Kennedy. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then, yeah, and then the second tune in that set is a little tiny excerpt from a... I mean, it has to be a piece of, of, of sort of very much composed classical music mm. that was just noted. You know, you get that a lot in, in old fiddle collections... I mean, certainly in England, I don't know about anywhere else really, but a lot of the fiddlers' tune books will often have the national anthem. They might have a bit of Handel or or whatever, you know. Mm. Um, and this, the second tune in there is called A Dance for Peace. Oh, nice. And it's a very peculiar piece of music. Like, it's in multiple time signatures and it's a hopeless, out of context, it doesn't mean anything. But there's a four-bar bit in the middle, in waltz time, which is that da 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 da, and I just like as a nugget of melody, that was like core, you know, what a lovely thing. It really does have that classical sound to it, that bit. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's a thing that we're battling a lot. In, in the English instrumental tradition, like the whole the whole classical thing. Because mm -hmm. a lot of our... Like my dear friend Becky Price, who lives about two miles in that direction, she always says that thing with, with English tunes, you know, you're, with, with the 17th, 18th century repertoire, like it's a time when classical musicians and folk musicians went to the pub and went home wearing each other's trousers, is how she puts yeah. it. <laughs> you know, so a lot of the repertoire that, that, that I'm sort of playing in these books has that funny Baroque tinge to it and actually a lot of the battle with 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 unearthing these tunes and like trying to make them now is how do you keep the nugget of that wonderful melody but take out the da 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 kind of thing yes yeah and turn it into something more folky or acoustic or putting your own slant on it i suppose 
Yeah, exactly. So that dance for peace nugget was was a thing. It's like as a piece, it's it makes no sense mm-hmm. to me. But whoever wrote those four bars, or whoever wrote the whole thing, but those four bars to me were just like, wow. Yeah. Like what a perfect example of, of, sort of melodic simplicity and wholeness. Yeah. You know, in a little in a little message. So, yeah, that was just a. I'm going to have four bars from there and sack off the rest kind of thing. Yeah, so why not? <laughs> Artistic license. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, totally. And I think, it, you know, it's interesting to me that, you know, like people like Martin Carthy in the 60s were already doing that process with songs, like changing ballads and being like, no, I don't like those last 68 verses. That's a terrible thing. Mm. Or I don't like. But in yeah. tunes, like I think we're way, certainly in England anyway, people don't feel like they have license to change melodies yeah. very much in tunes. also interesting because you know so much of it is learnt by ear in the pub or at sessions and so over time people do put their own little slants on them or little ornaments that become known in that community and that maybe deviates Mm. quite a bit from the original anyway. It's maybe a different process or it has been a different process until recently with the songs versus tunes element yeah and i mean i'm i feel very far away from the song tradition like i feel i feel like they're very they're two very separate things to me Mm. Um, and i know that not you know a lot of people don't think that and a lot of people have they'll do a gig with tunes and songs in and stuff but like i don't folk song is not a thing traditional folk song is very rarely a thing that i Mm -hmm. i engage with yeah (laughs) <laughs> and I, I don't really know why that is but I I feel the same Sam like I'm really uh-huh. I love a tune like I can really get invested in, like your like your album um, like instrumental albums that you can put whatever your feelings you want onto them or you can yeah. get so much different emotion from them but I find the same with traditional song I find it quite hard to mm. there's few that I ident- identify with yeah I, w- I would I would agree with that um you know it's it's weird because i think we are we're such a funny scene in england because like the english the english instrumental scene is really and i'd get told off for saying this by some people but really it's i just feel like it's only just beginning Um, and of course some people would say there's been fantastic instrumental bands for decades um and that's Mm. that's true sure that's 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 fine but like I don't know, I always feel a sort of weird sense of envy or jealousy. Like if if I go up to Celtic Connections and you just see how many amazing bands there are playing instrumental music in Glasgow and you think, Mm. wow, my God, you know, if I want to play instrumental music in a social setting here, I have to have an invite only session and like specifically invite people to come and play music with me because it's not a thing uh, here. I've got no idea being from <laughs> being from Scotland and being so used to it here yeah. it's like it's a free-for-all kind of rally yeah. in the pub <laughs> which is you know good and bad as well. sure yeah I just I love it I, we're definitely seeing it happen like yeah. there's 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 more people mm. playing English tunes than ever and there's more people getting involved in instrumental yeah. music and making it their own so I think it's cool and I'm just excited to be a small part of, of that mm. 
suppose with um, the various music degrees as well, that's kind of opening it up as, as another avenue for people to get into it as well. I hope so. I really hope so, yeah. Mm. <laughs> I don't know much about the, the degrees that are going on. There's Leeds and Newcastle, isn't there? And mm. I have very limited experience of, 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 of those courses, really. I've taught on the Leeds one a couple of times. Mm. What I hope is happening is that people are being encouraged to become their own, do their own thing and, and, and make their own music, yeah. you know, because actually that's the only way that our scene's going to do something, is to stop looking backwards and start yeah. looking forwards. But now we're getting onto some kind of another track, aren't we? We're, we're, like, we're going completely <laughs> off, off. This is a separate, separate <laughs> podcast series. I, I feel spinning out of this. Yeah, totally. <laughs> about some of the other tracks on the album then so there's obviously some that you've written yourself how do you how do you approach writing on your fiddle um i don't is the answer to that i don't write oh. anything on the fiddle okay um i've tried to write tunes on the fiddle and i i can't do it um and i think mm-hmm. the reason is i guess because i'm I sort of have a degree of technical proficiency on that instrument more so than any other. And therefore, mm-hmm. the options are too, there's too many options for me. So I tend to write every, maybe every tune I've ever written, or certainly the vast majority I'll write on the guitar, mm-hmm. um, because I can't play it. So would you sit and sort of figure out a chord se- sequence and be diddling? vocally over the top of that or would you be picking out a tune on the guitar bit of both um bit of both so uh let me think of an example uh well the um in the old wagon way the that track the the first tune on there so Mm -hmm. it's called swift hill so it's the like that one and that was just a faff about picking a tune on the guitar. I mean, I'd like to say that it's loosely based on... So Swift's Hill is this beautiful hill just behind where I used to live. And the idea was developed on a walk up that hill, but it didn't originate there. It was just me fannying about on a guitar. <laughs> that's, I think, how most... From everybody I've been speaking to, that seems to be how most <laughs> things come about. Yeah. Um, that track in particular, though, is re- well, the whole album actually is like really has a real positive energy and positive vibe to it. And I think that one in particular does make mm. me think of going for a walk on an, on a nice day. Like I can feel that sun on my face when I listen to that track. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I listened to the album quite a, like a lot. I think it must have arrived. Um, I got it on vinyl because I was like, I need to hear, I need to hear this record on vinyl. Um, having only just recently kind of got the setup for records and at the start of lockdown kind of listened to it on repeat excuse the pun from the name um, but it was just it was just such a breath of fresh air and positivity i think i think though like on on the sort of positive and the sort of uplifting thing you know like there's a there is a thing about instrumental music it's that actually the thing that i wrote on the on the cover that that Alex Van from Spyro 
said. I should actually find out because I can't remember it word for word, so I should get that out. <laughs> I've got it here. <laughs> that helps. Yeah, what did I say? I can't get the quote up. You said, Instrumental music is particularly rewarding and meaningful because you don't know why you're feeling emotional. You've reached a place beyond words, the most amazing place that we all share. Alex who said that and he's he's a member of Spyro and for those who don't know Spyro they are without a doubt one of my favorite bands ever and have been since I was about 17 and they're just incredible and they they deserve far more recognition than they've ever had their music for me was a huge a huge revelation because the it's all instrumental it's all played mm -hmm. acoustically there's no looping or any funny electronics mm -hmm. it's all live takes done live but what they managed to do um, via sort of just melody combined with sort of looping phrases and repetition and and wonderful chords and stuff is they they just transport you completely mm. elsewhere and I think again this is simplistic and it's because I'm not a singer but often with singing it's that because there are words and this obviously you can't apply this unilaterally to every song but because there are words, there's meaning. And yeah. if you're not in that place to receive those words or whatever, then mm -hmm. actually that that music isn't necessarily for you at that time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whereas I often with instrumental music, it's like it it is what you what you make it at that point. Um, and you know, I'm sure you've had this. Like there are bits of instrumental music which at certain points will make you cry, and at other points mm. they'll make you so unbelievably happy. Yeah. And I think that's what I love about it. I love that thing about instrumental music. You can you can take people to to quite different places with the same piece of music. Yeah. Depending on what time of day it is or how they feel that morning or yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and tracks, you know, like the old Wagon Way or something, they were very much it was like Yeah Come on <laughs> Like let's just let's just let's try and make that fizzy fizzy belly feeling that I get from from listening to other instrumental things. I want to try and get that. I want to make people's bellies fizz. <laughs> then you've got tracks like Red, which I, I find each time I listen to it, I take it in a different way. Mm. I guess similarly to what we were saying, it's like depending on what's going on in my life at the time or... Yeah. It's it can be very. It's got just so many different things going on. I think. Yeah, that melody was interesting. So in its in its form, it, it's in this weird old 18th century collection. I think it's Thompson's Thompson's Country Dances for for court and blah blah blah. Um, and it was one of those tunes I had to round off some accidentals and stuff out of it because it had some of those horrible baroque cadence points and stuff. It was just like. Oh. But once I'd rounded it off, um, it's a thing, actually, it's a thing I say in all my fiddle lessons. So, like, people don't love, when you've got a tune, nine times out of ten, people don't love the rhythm of that tune. They mm. love the shape of the melody. Humans mm. fall in love with melodic shape. Yeah. And, like, if you can divorce, like the rhythm or what is given to you on the page by such and such a collector from mm -hmm. actually the melodic shape of something you can then make it your own by sort of tweaking it and 
And red was was exactly that for me, like the shape of it, with like the sort of with that big and like the, the actual shape of it was just so glorious. Was that a traditional originally? Yeah. I mean, crikey, who knows? I mean... Yeah. Y- what does that mean? Y- yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who know? I don't know. Um, I've certainly never heard it played. The tune is actually called Red and All Red. And I found a video of it on YouTube of some people, I think in America, doing sort of Playford-esque uh, dancing to it. But yeah, I've never heard anyone play it. Um, and there's certainly no indication in the manuscript of like what tempo it should be or what mm. what dance should be done to it or anything anything like that. But yeah, that was just a sort of a rounding off a couple of of horrible notes and cadences out of that. But I only changed five or six notes, and then the sort of the the guitar part under it was a faff about again <laughs> uh, on the guitar. And the riff that you hear at the start of that uh, was actually, it was a riff in in 3-2 time that I'd written mm. potentially for something else years ago. And I was just flipping through my voice memos where I try and, well, I'm sure you do it. Like you sort of yeah, grab yeah, your yeah. phone, I must not. Oh, there's so many. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, and, and nine times out of ten, you'll flip through them and they're like, <laughs> and then you can't make any sense of them. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, that was just in a voice memo on my phone, that riff thing. Mm. And then it was just like, a, it was sort of like a match made in heaven, really. I sort of, I found red, like, what on earth am I going to do with this beautiful melody that I found? Oh, this riff, they they literally, they, they were made for each yeah. other. And I have to yeah. say, like, I think it's quite blatant, maybe the, the sort of influence on the start of that track, but... Um, having toured a lot with Andy Bell doing sound. And he used to play that Bon Iver mm. track, um, Perth, which is at the start mm. of the second record. And like, there's no, it's basically, I was like, I want that bit to sound like that Bon Iver track. Um, so <laughs> yeah, that was kind of the, the vibe, the vibe with that. I'm trying to think if there's any other, any other sort of ways of, of, that the material came out there was some there was some um sort of changing of modes of tunes like the sunbeams mm. track which i sort of feel is like a sort of sweltering dark sweaty tune actually in the manuscript it's like and I'd sort of like no 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 you're like no that's not the sun that i'm talking about um, yeah. This is a really hot, sweaty one, and then so it was just a matter of being like, "No, thank you, major key. This is actually." Yeah. And that was just like a, yeah. you know. And the there's a tune, the second tune in the Dark Arches set as well. That's a really rubbish jig in the manuscript, hopeless, like a And that was just a now whack it in the Lydian mode. Lovely, raise yeah. the fourth, and it becomes a dark, broody thing that's much more my thing. Mm. Is that track called after the moth? <laughs> yeah, although I have to say, not on purpose. People have asked this before. The and I, it's a rubbish answer. 
This is a terrible answer. <laughs> so I was trying to find a name for the middle tune. Um, the first tune's called Phil the Tankard, it's trad. The second tune is this Dark Arches tune, and the third tune's called The Red Bull, which is also trad. The, it was one of those stupid things where I tried to rename the middle tune. Couldn't think of a decent name for it. And I went onto those ran one of those random anagram generators on the internet, and I put in the original title of the tune and made an anagram of it, and it came out as Dark Arches. I think. I think that's the answer. So that's not very cool, is it? It's a it's, bit... I think it's quite cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's just, you know, I could have said the flight of the moth really inspired, <laughs> the, but it, no, not at all. It was just, yeah. I, I desperately needed a name last minute. You're very drawn to instrumental music and you've been playing in, in bands, as you said, since you were 18 and obviously been in the scene since you were younger than that, at what age did you pick up the fiddle and start playing? Can you remember? You're shaking your head like, oh no, you No, can't. I'm shaking my head because it's just so embarrassing to, to, to think about some of the dreadful music I've made. Um, but yeah. <laughs> um, Haven't we all? I, Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. I'm sure, I'm sure everyone's got albums they'd rather forget. But um, yeah, I started when I was six. Mm -hmm. um, the fiddle because my lovely friend um, Bryony Bainbridge who's a great fiddle player, she lives in, in Newcastle but we went to primary school together and she played the fiddle and her mum taught me how to play Twinkle Twinkle Little Star one day after school mm -hmm. and that was for me that was kind of it so I, I took it up when I was six and then learned my parents folk record collection by ear basically from the age of six but I didn't meet any other kids that played folk music till I went to folk work summer school when I was 12 mm. Did you have lessons, like classical lessons or...? I did, yeah. I was never really that good at the classical thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I now I do a lot of teaching, I realise what an absolute nightmare student I was. Like, I was the guy who just never practised in between lessons. And now I do a lot of teaching. I mean, how, I must have been infuriating for my lovely teacher, who I am still in touch with, but I must have been so annoying. Um, but yeah, I did do the classical thing. And I did enjoy quite a bit of it, and I enjoyed being in the Nottingham Youth Orchestra. That was kind of cool. Like, I liked being in the middle. Although, to be perfectly honest, I'd have been just as happy sitting there, not playing in the middle yeah. of an orchestra. Yeah, <laughs> just kind of feeling it. <laughs> yeah, just like, absorbing the yeah. sound uh, would have been just as good, to be honest. So yeah, I did, I did the classical thing and then it was Irish music that, that sort of did it for me first. Um, and I guess I was playing, because my dad's record collection was mostly like folk rock stuff. Mm -hmm. So I was, the, the main influence for me at that time was Dave Swarbrick. And that's, that's interesting because like he's the archetypal English fiddle player, but most of his repertoire was Scottish. Yeah. Um, so I guess I was playing quite a lot of Scottish and Irish tunes and had no idea that English music was a thing. Mm -hmm. And in a way, like, how wonderful. Like, kids don't know where tunes are from, you know? Like, it's just yeah. music. You either like it or you don't, <laughs> exactly. sort of thing. You feel a connection or you don't. Exactly, yeah. And <laughs> yeah. In, in a way, like, I, I do think it is a, a weird shame that that we, that people, I guess, sort of are very fiercely loyal to where tunes are from. Mm. It's not always a bad thing, but, like, it was Chris Wood, I think, who said to me on a summer school once, you know, tunes don't carry passports. 
there's an awful lot of of funny funny weird possessiveness that goes on with this music and um that said like i totally fell in love with english in inverted commas music mm-hmm. when i discovered it and chris would in- introduce me to the idea of there's music from the country where that you're from mm-hmm. and it's yours and nobody can tell you that you're wrong yeah when you play it because we don't know how it goes yeah um so for me that was hugely liberating and i've never i've never looked back much about the English folk scene um, instrumentally or song-wise I suppose. Is Did it kind of go out of favour for a while? Is that why not as many people played it for some, some time? I guess in, in general there was obviously a folk revival across the mm. UK in the mm. sort of 70s. Is that when English folk music kind of got a bit of love again? Yeah. <laughs> I guess the in the revival the the tradition was as far as i can see obviously i wasn't born but as far as i can see was massively almost entirely song based right okay so in terms of instrumental revival we're just seeing it recently and also in terms of source players like Mm -hmm. um we've got like so few recordings of english fiddle players it's incredible like we're talking like maybe maybe 20 30 oh really wow. like and very isolated examples of of source players mm-hmm. so we're not it's not like a situation where you could go to ireland and and people would say how much truth in it is in it i've got no idea but this person learned from this person who learned from this person and they play in a claire style mm-hmm. um you know like whether that's fabricated yeah. or not that is a thing that they have whereas we don't even have the option of that in england so you can't say I learned from this person who learned from this person because there's none of that oral tradition right. or lineage of any description, really. Mm-hmm. So if you're playing, you know, instrumental music now, you're, you've you've basically taught yourself and you've learned by going to sessions and listening to CDs. Mm-hmm. A couple of exceptions, like Nancy Kerr. I mean, it's very different in Northumberland, but she learned from the shepherds, yeah. like Willie Taylor and stuff. So she actually did learn from some old, proper, <laughs> proper... <laughs> musicians <laughs> but basically it's not a thing here you can't do it and there's no such thing as english fiddle style like we're just winging it and we're nicking stuff quite exciting in a way because you can just do whatever you want <laughs> yeah absolutely you can create it people get get down about it and it's like well i don't know what to do because i haven't got there's no blueprint there's no one for me to copy but it's like actually flip that around mm-hmm. It's like we have carte blanche to do literally whatever we like. So I'm going to nick that from Sweden, that from Scotland. I'm going to do that old time thing there and a bit of France. Immigrants have come here forever to to pretend. We're all international, aren't we? And there's no pretending that we have some kind of, that there's a pure kind of music to aspire to. Mm. Yeah, I, I sort of, I try to tell people my thoughts on that, you know, like, nick a quebecois ornament because it will have been here mm. and even <laughs> and even if it hasn't been here it's totally fine to do it because we're everything about this music is a melting pot of countless influences i think that's what i really enjoy about this record and the sort of sonicness of it it's a terrible word it's not a word <laughs> i like but it you know what i mean the sonicness <laughs> is that it does there's there's kind of a global sound to it mm. 
and it's something being from and living in Scotland, have, growing up with a, hearing a certain type of fiddle that I maybe didn't even realise. Mm. It, it sounds very different and sort of liberating, liberated, liberating to my ears to hear it. Uh-huh. Maybe I can ask you then, because I'm really, I'm really interested by, really interested by this. So when when Unearth Repeat came out, so I did a thing on Front Row on Radio Four, mm-hmm. and the producer of that show was sort of, he sort of was preparing me for some things mm-hmm. to discuss with the presenter, and he was saying, this album undoubtedly, it's undoubtedly English music. It's clearly not Scottish or Irish. Why? And I and for me like it's a really fascinating thing like and so yeah maybe i can ask you like don't if you're yeah <laughs> you yeah, yeah, yeah. Answer this question, <laughs> no like, i will <laughs> do, you say it sort of has this global sound but yeah. like could, do you think it sounds english or do N- you think not particularly i suppose there are people who i've heard play the fiddle who have a sort of more english sound to my ears and that's maybe the tunes that they choose to play but also I think it's in the style of playing Mm -hmm. and I can't really describe that because I don't play the fiddle and I don't understand Mm -hmm. the ins and outs of how it works also Mm -hmm. me making lots of gestures doesn't help because this is a podcast (laughs) (laughs) but it doesn't sound sort of English to me and like Uh that's neither that's that's not a good thing or a bad you know it's just it doesn't matter to my ears where where it's from. But can you pinpoint, would you say any of it sounds like it's from anywhere? Or would you just say, because it's, I don't know, man, I, I made a very purposeful effort to not, for it not to sound stereotypically English. Yeah, and I think that it doesn't to me. And I there's not any particular bits where mm. I think, oh yeah, that's clearly yeah. an English tune or this is very much an English player. Yeah, I think you've kind of got your own sound, Sam, I think. Because I don't think I've heard anybody play like this before. Oh, nice. And um, it's funny because all of the records... So I've spoken to John Bowden and M.G. Bolter and I've did a podcast with Salt House as well. Mm. Obviously, I'm a bit biased. I quite like that music. Um, <laughs> but it's such a... Like, it's honestly... Everybody who's listening to this is going to think, oh, she's just saying she... I do all of this music. I absolutely love. And it's so... What a pleasure to get to speak to people about it and how it's made and learn more about it. Totally. But when I'm saying... It's, it's, it's on, it is genuine, the, the enjoyment that I get from hearing this music music and yeah yeah that's it really interesting that I've never really sat down and thought before what kind of style of mm. tune playing is this when I'm listening to your record mm. but it's really interesting having this conversation with you because it does open up well what what is English folk music what is Scottish folk yeah. music yeah and often I think it's to do with um like very specific people yes who thousands of people have copied. Yeah, oh, totally, yeah. <laughs> you, do you know what I mean? Like, you get that funny regional style of mm. one thing. Yeah. Which, again, is a Chris Wood thing. Um, but, like, beca- I think because we don't have that, mm. like, you could, if you wanted to, you could copy a recording of an 85-year-old Stephen Baldwin from the Forest of Dean, if you mm. wanted. But you're not going to, because he was 85, and yeah. he didn't sound so super. Yeah. <laughs> so we can't, we can't copy anyone. Yeah. Similarly, there are certain fiddle players in the Scottish scene who to me their playing is mm. sounds very Scottish and whether that's because 
I know what bands they play in and the kind of material that they do and they see, mm. they pick a certain style or have a certain sort of go-to ornamentation or sort of whatever it's called. Um, but there are also musicians within the Scottish scene, I suppose like yourself, that are, it's like influence from different places and so it's less distinguishable as, oh, that's, that's yeah. English, that's Scottish, that's... Scandinavian, that's whatever. Uh, I, I mean, I find it fascinating. It is, isn't it? <laughs> I love talking about it. It's also the whole genre thing, like why people feel like the need to say, oh, it's a folk record or, oh, it, you know, it's a mm. triad record or a Scottish folk singer mm. or a this, this or that. And I don't know why. We yeah. like to be able to define things, don't we? We do, and I think it's... It's so easy to say from the inside, mm. but if you could categorise the few folk records that I really love, essentially they work because they they work in the in the universal language of music. Yeah, like there are things that unite all the music that I love, mm-hmm. and they're common to the best folk records that I like, and they're common to all the mm-hmm. best electronic dance music and pop and everything yeah. else <laughs> records yeah. that I like yeah. um, it's not really the fact that it's folky no you know um, and I think we could, we need a huge dose of that in our mm. scene we need to get a bit more real and be like actually does this work in the in the in the universe in the yeah. world of music as a whole yeah or am I just <laughs> am I just basically looking backwards mm. um, I think we need a bit of a dose of that certainly down here we do crikey mm. <laughs> along those lines of sort of the sound that you've created in this record can you tell me a bit more about the fiddle Mm. that you play yeah the fiddle it's um it's this one oh but yeah we're only using audio so i'll stop holding it up (laughs) it looks Um. beautiful for anybody (laughs) listening i wish it wasn't as red in color Oh. It, it's not. It's an interesting fiddle, I guess, in some ways. Um, in that years ago, maybe ten-ish years ago, I did an interview with Dave Swarbrick, who was my childhood hero, and mm-hmm. I went to his house to interview him about his fiddle style. And I think that interview is still on YouTube, maybe. Hmm. And anyway, he played my fiddle, which was the First World War, the unfinished violin one. Oh yeah. And he sort mm-hmm. of he played it and grimaced and was like, oh. I've got a fiddle that could eat this up, Sam. And he toddled off to his bedroom and under his bed where he sort of kept loads of fiddles. And he he brought this one through um, and it was made in 1997 by a guy called Michael Burnham and and, yeah, Dave Swarbrick played it for the last sort of 10, 15 years of his life. Um, And it's an amazing instrument. Like I I really love it. It's loud because like Dave was almost entirely deaf by the time he, he died. So like, yeah it's really loud but it's also very sweet and beautiful Mm. and um yeah i do i do really love it it's got a lovely warmness like a warmth that's the word i can't speak today it's got a lovely warmth to it (laughs) (laughs) i think adding nuss to the end of anything is fine it's okay okay good yeah Um, yeah it's a nice i like it so have you had it since then since for 10 years totally Yeah. yeah maybe more i can't really remember maybe 12 years but yeah showing my ignorance because I do not play the fiddle 
would you tend to just use the same instrument so on this album is it just that fiddle you're playing it is just that one um yeah i do have one two three well, i've got four fiddles so i've got a fiddle that i did all my classical lessons on which is a stradivarius copy there's mm-hmm. literally hundreds of thousands of them in the world and they retail for about 600 to a grand and a half mm-hmm. that's a fiddle i don't really care about so that was my bellowhead fiddle because um, if it got smashed, you could Party buy it. Fiddle. You could totally <laughs> exactly. Um, it's the one that gets totally mashed on on Bellahead gigs when we when we were a band. Um, so that was that fiddle. And then I've got this fiddle, an old English fiddle made by a guy called Raymond Forbes Freak. Whoa, that's a great <laughs> um, name. Totally cool name. Yeah. Uh, so I got played that for a while. Then I got the First World War fiddle. But the thing with the First World War fiddle is that it's a it's a gorgeous instrument, but it's quite one-dimensional. Okay. Like, it's small. I think it's one of those wretched things they used to call it a lady's full size because it's like seven-eighths okay. or something. So it's one of those ridiculous terms for a, yeah, yeah. the sizing of it. But it's, it's basically thin and slightly short as such mm-hmm. because of the build of it. The sound of it is... It's like you can't go from one to ten. In, in tone or intensity or volume or anything it's basically you can sort of simmer between four and seven but it never goes past there so like I needed a I needed another instrument that would like do what I wanted it to do and that fiddle the sawbrick fiddle does that pretty much certainly in the summer between October and March it sounds dreadful <laughs> <laughs> it likes to be hot and dry my violin I'm sure there's something I could say about the general population of the UK liking that as well <laughs> Totally, yeah. (laughs) It's good that all the festivals are in the summer because that's when my fiddle sounds the best. Your purpose of making this record was to create an album of tunes that you love playing and also working with people who you love playing with. Who who else plays on the album? Ben Nichols, who I've played with a bit. Uh, We did the full English together and we played in Faye's band together and John Bowden's band together. And to me, Ben is the, he's my favourite bass player in the world by a country mile. Mm. He's amazing to play with, Ben. He just knows when, to, when the right mm. time is to do the right thing <laughs> on the bass. Um, so I wanted to play with Ben without a doubt. And then Jack Rutter. I was a big fan of Jack's playing in More Moss Rutter, um, particularly on their third record. For me, like... Groove is it's what Ben Nichols said, right, to the National Youth Folk Ensemble the first time he ever came to teach. And he had to leave halfway through the week. And it was like, let's all say goodbye to Ben. And everyone was like, bye, Ben. Thank you so much. And he just turned to all these kids and he just went, at the end of the day, all you've got is tone and groove. <laughs> and then he just turned out and, like, and left. Legend. <laughs> yeah, absolutely brilliant. And it's true, you know, like, I think you... Groove is important to, to almost all music that isn't essentially a lot of orchestral mm. music or like slow airs or whatever. But, you know, all popular yeah. dance music, you know, it it has to have this thing. And I think that some people are just groove yeah. compatible. And he's one. And it, it feels like me, Jack and Ben have a, have a, a place mm. that we can share kind of groove and rhythm that just seems to mesh. I guess in the folk rock thing, people had two guitars, bass, drums, mm-hmm. plus fiddle and vocals, whatever. 
the, the, the worst thing about folk rock, and I talk as someone who actually quite enjoys it occasionally, mm-hmm. little nuggets of it, <laughs> but the legacy of folk rock is that it basically stripped musicians of any sense of wholeness musically. Mm-hmm. So because you have bass and drums and guitar, the fiddle player doesn't think he has to do anything rhythmic or anything harmonic because mm. that's taken care of, you know, and that's the hangover of, yeah. of folk rock. But what I wanted to do was make a band with two guitars and mm-hmm. bass because all the best bands in the world <laughs> have two guitars and bass. Like, it's a thing, you know. I'd almost go as so far as to say that was a fact. <laughs> but, you know, it's, a, it's an amazing combination. Rhythm guitar, lead guitar, bass. Yeah. So I wanted to do that, but I wanted to make something that was very far from folk rock. So that was when I got Louis Campbell. Man, I mean... Beautiful electric guitar, isn't it, he plays? Yeah, electric yeah. guitar. And he, he came to audition for the National Youth Folk Ensemble when he was 16. And it was so funny. Like We were sat in the Exeter Phoenix in the audition room and he came in and they only have two minutes to play in their initial audition. And he was sort of like, well, what do you want? And we were like, well, just, just, just play us something, you know. <laughs> uh, and he sort of did this finger-picked, like, um, flat-picked jig thing. And we were like, wow, he's in. He's definitely mm-hmm. in. And then he started doing all this other stuff with his other fingers whilst playing. And we were like, oh, crumbs. That's amazing. And then he sort of stopped that. And then he did a Bonnie Vare song. Mm-hmm. And we were like, crikey, this, this kid's amazing. And I, I sort of knew that he was going to make phenomenal music even then Mm -hmm. so i love i love what he does and he's he's musically fascinating and i think he's i think he's great (laughs) oh and the other person that plays on the record is my lovely friend dave i went to school with dave he was a couple of years below me um but he was a genius at school like proper proper genius on the piano Mm -hmm. um and at 18 he went off on a scholarship to berkeley college in the states um, and studied there and then he, he lived in Boston for a while and then he moved over to, to LA and was doing loads of session work and stuff um, and he sort of toured the world with Art Garfunkel and all these wow. people and then we were making this record exactly we were making this record and it just so happened that Dave was back in the UK from LA for a family wedding and I was just like Dave oh my god and I hadn't <laughs> spoken to him for years it's like I'm making this record can you come to Wales he was like yeah I can get to Wales for t- by tomorrow. Mm. It's like, oh my God, this is incredible. So, so Dave listened to a couple of the demos in the car on the way. And then he was only there for a day and a half, maybe less. Nailed it. Bish, bash, bosh. Yeah, just gorgeous. And it was cool because like the last thing musically we did together was Jesus Christ Superstar in year 11 at school. <laughs> so like, so lovely. So a bit different then. Just a little bit. <laughs> And where did you record? Obviously in Wales. What studio did you record the album? Uh, Giant Wafer. Oh, the Andy Bell special. Andy Bell special, yeah. I've never been, but I've heard great things about it. It's cool. I've done quite a few things there. It just feels easy. You're like in the middle of absolutely nowhere, and you can. It's just like a self-catering, lovely, lovely thing. It just feels relaxed, and uh, it just, yeah, it's just got a lovely vibe about it. So. I like it. I'll probably do quite a lot of other records there, I'm guessing. How did you decide the name of the album? It's, again, probably not very exciting. Was it a 
name generator on online. Yeah, that's it. Let's just say that's the answer. Yeah, <laughs> two random words done. <laughs> but, I mean, basically, unearth. It's about digging stuff up, you know. And that, for me, the thing with th these traditional tunes is like they're just a present. Like they've literally been left by countless people, and they're just literally they're there. And all you've got to do is go and dig them up. You've got to unearth them, and they're there. The other thing with unearthing. Because I often talk about unearthing tunes, but then unearthing like a thing, if you unearth a story, it becomes public, it becomes current. And that for me, that's another mm -hmm. really important thing about what I do is hopefully this is, it's current. Like I don't, I really, really don't subscribe to that view that to make folk music current, you have to get, uh, you know, a beatboxer and a break dancer and a massive yeah. lighting show and, and cross-discipline, I think it's bollocks. Like, actually, the most current folk music is is essentially music that is that is a result of everything that's gone before mm. it. Um, and so for me, that's partly what the Unearth thing is about. It's about, this is now music, or it's certainly March 2020 music for yeah. me. It's not, maybe it's not current for me now, you know. I think it is, it's got a timelessness to it. Cool, I hope so. Yeah, I mean, God, I can't wait to play it. It'd be really fascinating to play it having not, having not done it. The repeat bit of it, I mean, it's kind of a stupid thing, really. I guess in a way it's a, <laughs> it's a slightly stupid thing, but like unearthed repeat, it's like that thing, it's like, I'm just doing this thing again and again <laughs> and again. I've just found a tune, I've blown the dust but off it, works. it, and I'm going to do it again. So... <laughs> In a, in a way, I suppose unearth repeat in a sort of, it's quite crass, but it kind of just explains the process of what I do. Um, but also the things with repeating. It's that lovely thing you get in Scandinavia where you get like Polska after, <laughs> and like they're named after who they were learned from or who they, you know. And so to repeat is to say after someone or to say again. Yeah. And like I like the fact that it's either to repeat something you've heard or be doing something again that has been done countless times for generations before you. So basically, yeah, in short, it's two words that have multiple meanings that I really like. <laughs> and so what's happening next for you, Sam? We've got a few gigs uh, with this record so mm -hmm. a couple in June July and then hopefully fingers crossed a, a big tour November December and then an, and then the rescheduled for the third time May launch tour which will be May 2022 I'm sort of in the process at the moment of writing a lot uh, and whether it um, whether that comes to anything whether that's another album or not I don't really know but like mm. I'm writing very much with a different slant to Unearth Repeat. So um, I'm trying to play on this idea that... Oh, crikey, how am I going to sum this up? So why do people love pop music? Pop music is essentially... It's hooky music. It's memorable. It's a thing that you can remember. And, the you know, most of the most successful pop songs that are universal they will have a number of hooks that everybody can mm. sing straight away. Mm -hmm. Folk tunes 
the memorable folk tunes are similar in the sense that they stick in people's heads. Yeah. But they're not, you know, they're not just like... <laughs> or whatever. Because yeah. they're not that. They're, they're, mm. they're, they're 32 bars or they're eight bars of original material. So mm. I'm trying to play on the idea that folk tunes are essentially hooks that are linked together. Okay, yeah. It doesn't really make much sense. But I'm, no, I think it does. I'm trying to do that because I basically all I listen to now is Norwegian pop music. That's, that is all I listen to. And so I'm just, I'm trying to take some sort of, some, I'm trying to learn from it and make something mm-hmm. out of it. And it might be absolutely horrendous, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to seeing, hearing what comes out of that. Yeah, if maybe you won't. <laughs> maybe you'll never hear what comes out of it maybe nobody will yeah uh, hopefully maybe on the hudson club maybe that's a good place to try it out yeah on yeah the hudson yeah sub club absolutely i'm excited about hudson sub i don't know about you me i'm very too. excited about it yeah me too yeah i think it's gonna be a cool thing such a great so great being part of that whole whole thing do you know and actually like i since this pandemic shit like we there's a lot of bad things but one of my favorite things about it is that the opportunity for uh, for talking about music you never talk about music right and then all this year i've been like well this and like doing various other podcasty things or or radio things or like i've joined a few listening clubs where we we meet yeah, on a fortnightly yeah. basis and we just discuss music um, and actually that thing that talking about music is mm. like dancing about architecture quote it's like it's bollocks talking about yeah. music is absolutely brilliant like I love it um, so I've liked that about this year very much what a really great conversation it's been so interesting and we'll have to start a new podcast series or two as on the back of what we've discussed as well <laughs> yeah totally I would love that yeah. I would love 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 that yeah but uh, yeah, hopefully, I'm sure I will be kept in the loop of what you're doing and look forward to hearing your Norwegian-inspired pop, <laughs> pop fiddle album uh, coming soon. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> to keep up to date with episodes, please subscribe to this podcast. In the next episode, I chat with Eva Bittever, Petter Fadness and Niels Henrich from the band Angrusori about their new album, you can find out more about Hudson Records and their artists by visiting hudsonrecords.co.uk.